I once got 17 mosquito bites in under four minutes. I am not exaggerating. It was a very hot and humid day. It was woodsy, but 17. I am no longer going to be getting bug bites, mosquito bites in particular, because I use One Earth Body Care's Bite Me Not Natural Bug Spray. It's powerfully effective against mosquitoes, black flies, and no seams. Oil of lemon, eucalyptus, gives four-hour-plus protection. It's deep-free, does not absorb into bloodstream with bio-vanillin and essential oils for a warm, fruity aroma. It is 15% off until the end of June 2023. And if you forget to put on your Bite Me Not Natural Bug Spray, be sure to pick up their Itch Be Gone. It is a wonderful, soothing salve, an herbal infusion with essential oils to calm insect bites and inflammation. I swear by this. I wake up in the middle of the night itchy. I put this on, I go right back to sleep. It's amazing. So please go to oneearthbodycare.com, 15% off their Itch Be Gone and their Bite Me Not, and check out all of the other great stuff. They've got shampoo bars, conditioner bars. They've got stuff for your pets. They've got dry skin care and so much more. Check them out, oneearthbodycare.com. Does your dog do? Well, joining us today to answer this question is a fantastic Kara Sue Octoberg. I fell in love with her book. It is so incredibly good. Another good dog, one family and 50 foster dogs. She's a writer, a blogger and shelter dog advocate who writes about real life family drama and of course dogs. She is the author of four novels, two memoirs, dog wars, and a handbook memoir of the organic life. Kara has fostered nearly 200 animals and writes a blog about her experiences, anothergooddog.org. She is a co-founder of Who Will Let the Dogs Out, whowillletthedogsout.org, a nonprofit initiative whose mission is to raise awareness and resources for shelter dogs and the people who fight for them. Kara, I'm just so excited to have you on Dog Eared. So does your dog do... Does your dog lose its mind over a dental treat? Because <laughs> my dog absolutely bonkers and she never did it till she became old and senile so maybe that's part of it too or maybe they have some serious drugs in the dental treats i don't know which now does she kind of just spin around dance around she she, so it's it's like i always say time to brush your teeth because that's what they get right before bed and she goes nuts and this dog who's you know 15 and a half has arthritis can barely see races in circles goes flying around the room usually slides usually falls down at least once her hips give out at least once on her way to get into her crate as fast as she possibly can to get her dental treat and when she's in the crate she sits there like a puppy panting and begging for this dental treat races in circles goes flying around the room usually slides usually falls down at least once her hips give out at least once on her way to get into her crate as fast as she possibly can to get her dental treat and when she's in the crate she sits there like a puppy panting and begging for this dental treat and it's half coonhound and half Heaven knows what. Although, as I say that, my son did do the DNA on her, and it was a mixture of lots of strange breeds, and including like Chow and Plot Hound, and I don't know what else. But we met her mother, who was a purebred Coonhound. We don't know the other side of the story. Did you say Plot? Yeah, P-O-L-T-T, Plot Hound. They're for bear hunting. They're all over the South. Oh, wow. That's why I love doing this show. I always learn something new. So, Kara, when did your love of dogs begin? Oh, my gosh. Probably mm, when I was 
tiny. <laughs> Actually, you know, it's ironic. I'm just realizing this that I, my very first dog was a beagle. <laughs> oh, but I was too little to know that what beagles are really, really like. I guess or retain that information. Other than Candy was like my, that was her name. She was just my heart and soul. And recently, when we were moving, I uncovered this diary from when I was like seven, and um, it's all about Candy every page it's all about everything that candy did and candy this and candy it's just so it's my world revolved around her obviously when i was seven and um but i i you know this kind of stuff shapes you i guess and so that's that's probably when it really started but this crazy like dogs taking over your life thing that that didn't happen until um i started fostering my husband and i say that all the time like when did dogs become the the center of our universe. I mean, we travel with them. We take them everywhere. We have a cabin that is like all just for, you know, bringing your dog. We rent it, but only the people with their dogs. I mean, it's crazy. It started way back when with, with Candy, my little beagle. Oh, I love that. And when did fostering first get on your radar? Um, that started when I lost my, the dog, the first dog that I had kind of as an adult that you know, I absolutely loved. Her name was Lucy and she was a foxhound and we had her for 18 years. Oh my goodness. Years. And um, she, you know, she helped me raise my kids. She helped me move multiple times. And when she passed, I just, we went to shelters and we went places and I, every time I'd meet a dog, I'd be like, this is a nice dog, but 18 years with you, I don't know. I, I couldn't commit my, you know, my family, my kids and my husband were like, yeah, this one, yeah, this one, yeah, this one. And I, I kept saying, I, I don't know. So, um, and then a friend posted on Facebook, a picture of a dog they were looking for a foster for. And I was like, what? I could do that. That would, I could, that's something I could do. I don't know why I didn't realize it. So I, um, signed up and I ended up, that's how I ended up starting to foster and, really with the intention of just fostering until we found the one we wanted and then keeping it. I was like, we'll just, just be like tryouts. We'll have tryouts for each of these dogs. And when we find the right one, we'll just keep it. And obviously that didn't work because now it's over 200. So. All right. So in chapter one, we can foster dogs. And I love this. You write, quote, I guess it says something about our marriage that my husband didn't argue when I told him he had to drive 40 minutes to a bowling alley parking lot just off the Baltimore Beltway at midnight to pick up a beagle from South Carolina. And not only that, it was five degrees. So take us back. What was that like? How did you feel? This was your first time to be a foster. Yeah, I was anxious. I was excited. I was really excited because I didn't know anything about it. And um, I was amazed that they were going to let me take this dog. <laughs> and I was really excited just, you know, like, cause anytime you're bringing home a new dog, whether you're adopting it or fostering it or babysitting it, it's just so exciting. Cause you're, it's like meeting to me and like a new friend. And, um, so I was nervous though, because I hadn't met anyone, you know, everything was done by email and phone and I had not met a single person. I didn't know who I'd be looking for. I kind of was like, how are we going to know? Although when we pulled in that parking lot, it was really clear who we were looking for. The bowling alley was closed and there were all these people standing around under a light, um, freezing, waiting to pick up dogs. So it was just, I, I was really anxious, but also really, really excited. I look back on it now and like, I was so naive. I had no idea what I was getting into. <laughs> and it, her name was Galena. And you found out that she was something called a pocket beagle. I had never heard of a pocket beagle and she sounds absolutely adorable. And you have pictures in the book, which is great. But tell us a little bit about Galena and what that first experience was like. 
So Kalina um, was just this quirkiest little funny <laughs> dog that ate our house. She kind of like destroyed every stuffed animal she could find. There were guts, stuffed animal guts all over our house. She unrolled toilet paper. She, um, well, she, she ate the ottoman. <laughs> it was so cheap, but we bought it like when we were poor and just getting started and we just kept it. And it was like this ugly, ugly brown, fake, whatever, vinyl ottoman. And she ate the side of it. Like, oh, no. I was sort of happy that she did it, but I just had no idea that beagles could chew like that. Sandals, like anything. And um, so we learned the hard way. And I, I want to say she was my last beagle. Was she my last beagle? I think, I don't think I ever got another beagle to foster until very, very recently. I, I had a beagle a couple months ago. Oh, nice. Got out and she, she was just so, they're just really quirky. They have huge personalities for little dogs. They're fun. They're really fun. There were so many dogs that would have been perfect. That's what really stuck out to me was that huge capacity you have to love and and to lose. Even though you know they're going to a good home and, and you're really helped and you've saved a life, that attachment you make is so special. And particularly with Ginger Snap. Now, my audience is going to go, oh boy, here goes Lisa. Okay, so of course, Ginger Snap is a pit bull or at least Pitbull Mix, I believe. If I had another dog like Blue someday, there's no way I could give her him or her up because I'm going to have such an empty space. So tell us about how you handled that, and particularly with the ones that were really tough. You know, um, it, it is harder with some dogs than others, but at this point, you know, when we first had to give up Galena, our very first dog yeah you know like he was sort of heartbroken he was i think eight or nine i can't how old he was at the time um and i said you know but if we don't give her up we can't save another and when i looked at it that way and he did too you know we talked about where they were coming from why there were so many um it it makes it easier because i know that this dog's okay this dog is safe this dog is going to a home that is so excited to have him but there are so many dogs. And now that I've traveled south so much, I know those faces. I know those dogs down there that are hoping that they're going to get out. And many don't. So it, that makes it a little bit easier. You know, they, there's a saying in fostering that we let our hearts break so that theirs will never have to break again. And it, that kind of is exactly right. You know, we have to let our hearts break. But now this dog is safe. And now I can save another. So to me, it's a it's a small price to pay. But that said, it is hard. It's definitely hard. I mean, I, but, you know, being able to follow up, a lot of adopters do stay in touch. And I have a Facebook group for my adopters. And I, I get to kind of see where they go and what happens. And sometimes I even get to see them again and occasionally be. Oh, nice. You know, I usually do. I mean, now that I'm up to 200, I definitely don't know what everybody's doing. But, you know, that helps, that softens the blow a bit. I bet. And I think what was hard with Ginger Snap, I'm imagining, is that your family, I don't know if, if I got this right, the exact wording, but kind of pleaded. Even your daughter, Addie, the teenager, she's got a lot going on, kind of warm and cold with the dogs. She said that Ginger Snap was the best dog you've had. How do you, when your family's coming to you, and like, come on, this is the one? Well, they, all of those, my kids, and they were like, Addie was like a young teen, and Brady was mm -hmm. an older teen. And, and um, they're leaving. <laughs> you know, I can't, can't leave. That's true. Like, you know, it's not your call. And, you know, and they definitely pleaded. But at the same time, they fell in love with the next dog, you know. And 
one of them said, it's really kind of cool. It's like we get a new dog every couple of weeks and, and that's fun. And, you know, when, when one leaves that you really were, you know, maybe more in love with than the others, that is hard. But then there's sometimes dogs where you're like, oh, yay, they're leaving. I mean, every time and every now and again, you do have that, especially puppies. I mean, everyone thinks puppies are wonderful and we've fostered a lot of puppies and I love puppies. But I also, like the grandparent, am happy when they leave because now I don't have to clean up after them and watch them every second and do everything. So, you know, it's back and forth. It's both. Well, you know, I was so amazed at the amount of work that you did, especially with the puppies. And again, who doesn't love puppies? But then again, lots of poop, lots of pee, lots of chaos, those sharp little teeth, you know, the whole thing. And you, you know, you were on top of it. And I know at times you you did express that it's it's overwhelming. It is. Puppies are a ton of work, especially when when I was fostering for um, a rescue that pulled these puppies oftentimes out of a shelter. So when puppies come out of a shelter, they bring with them the possibility of parvo. And if you've never experienced parvo, it is the absolute worst nightmare. And um, it it claims about 50% of the puppies who get it. And it's really hard to to witness. It's a terrible, terrible um, disease. So when you bring home puppies who could potentially be carrying parvo, you have to, for at least uh, the protocol for the rescue I was fostering for, and I believe should probably be the protocol for anybody bringing a puppy out of a shelter that is not fully vaccinated, is we had to keep them on a non-porous surface for nine days. Something They could only be on surfaces that we could ultimately bleach because parvo is so dangerous and so contagious that it will live in the ground indefinitely or on a, a porous surface if it can get into something. So um, that means that for nine days, you were picking up everything that comes out of that puppy. <laughs> a lot of work, you know, puppy pads only go so far. And it's a lot of being careful and washing hands and changing your shoes. And like, because again, you can't track, it, you, you've got to be so aware. It's almost like, you know, having this sterile, sterilized field where you have to keep everybody you know, the puppies, we had a puppy room. They all stayed in that room. I had shoes I only wore into the puppy room, and, you know, and took them off at the gate. And, you know, I washed my hands every time I came out of the puppy room. Or, you know, it was just a lot. And it is a lot. And I haven't fostered puppies for two years because we've been moving and it just was not possible. I didn't have a space. And actually, this Sunday, I'm picking up my first puppies after a two-year hiatus. And I'm excited, but I also know how much work is coming my way. How many? puppies will you be getting this time i will be getting three just three and they're but they're big puppies they're 10 weeks old they're like uh, 12 12 to 15 pounds oh my goodness big puppies <laughs> oh well i'll be thinking of you kara for sure wishing i could help out uh maybe i'll have to let me let me check the plane the flight schedules <laughs> i show up here who are you oh hi lisa davis Anyway, I would if I could. Every single dog struck me, and I took notes on every single dog. But I really want to talk about Symphony, who looked like the dog from The Little Rascals. And you write that Symphony, who you renamed Stitch, because he looked like Stitch. I love that from Lulu and Stitch. You say that the first day and night were really rough, and then the next day was great. And you talk about when you first get a dog, how it, you know a lot of them are really either traumatized, or there's been so much change, or they're scared, they're nervous. But then just with the little bit of love, they can come out because dogs are so resilient. Tell us about Stitch and about this. Yeah, they can. They are very resilient. And it is amazing to me how when you pick them up and they're 
one dog and you're overwhelmed and 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 a lot of times they're over, they're very overwhelmed and sometimes you know I've had some that were like actually one that was snapping on transport when they took it off transport I should bring home a biting dog and that turned out to be the sweetest dog in the world that followed me everywhere but um stitch was just a mess and um I, as I, I can't even remember all the details of it, but I know that she was did not appear to be housebroken and <laughs> whiny. She was challenging, and but within a day or so, she turned out just to be the sweetest thing. And they say there's something about there's like a three days, three weeks, three months in terms of when you bring a dog home for adoption. And similar with fostering, um, those first couple of days, that's not the dog that you have. Like I try really hard to not say a lot on social media or anywhere about who this dog is until I've had him for a few days because they're they're not who they are. They're out of sorts. They're terrified. They've come out of a high stress situation. They've probably been on a transport possibly as long as 15 to 18 hours in a crate um, with lots of other dogs and noises and road noise and stops and starts. And they're really you know, they're not themselves. And so you kind of have to cut them some slack. And what we do, and I definitely do um, now more than ever, is what we call shutdown, which is once they come in, I get them into the house and I bathe them and deworm them and whatever else has to happen immediately. um, They go in a crate and they are in that crate or they are on the end of the leash with me. and, And, you know, all the time, they're not just turned loose. And I had to learn that the hard way by turning dogs loose, but I give them this time to sort of decompress. And for them, it's like just keep keeping their world really small so that they don't have to deal with. I mean, they're already dealing with different, you know, smell is strong and they are in a new place, new smells. So if they don't have to have a lot of new people, new dogs, new things to deal with, that just helps them make the adjustment better. So we try really hard to keep their world very small. And for the first three or four days, at least some of them need it longer. Some of them need it less. Um, it, and it, it just helps them make the transition easier because after a couple of days, you had a totally different dog. And after three weeks, hopefully, from my viewpoint, hopefully they get adopted before then because at three weeks, I think it's when they kind of go, okay, this is home now. And they, they relax. And sometimes you see some like questionable behavior at that point too, kind of like, you know, like, well, now I think you're going to keep me. So now I can really be myself. So they make these changes and, um, you know, they're, they're all individuals and every one of them's different and they all handle stress differently. So you have to let them relax and let down and be themselves. Stitch had a hoarding habit. Shoes were her favorite. And on the top of the shoes, she put all the dog toys. One of the things that really made me laugh is that another foster Carla took Stitch's stash out of Stitch's crate. <laughs> and then another thing that was so funny is you write, she went from a black and white dog to a black and brown dog. And I recently brought up Harry the Dirty Dog, which was my favorite book as a kid where Harry went from a white dog with black spots to a black dog with white spots and they didn't recognize him. Anyway, the story is really cute. If you have you know any kids in your life, just get Harry the dirty dog or heck, get it for yourself. So that was really fun. One of the things I love too is the book was not only about dogs, but it was about kids, kids changing, kids growing up, kids needing us less. You write, quote, I felt distinctively more in control of the dogs than the kids. They were all busy with their lives, Ian with sports, Addie with the spring musical, and Brady enjoying the last moments of high school. Increasingly, I felt like I needed to make an appointment to talk to them. Mornings seemed to be my best opportunity, and yet I always regretted sending them out the door once again, annoyed with their mother. Oh my gosh, I can relate with my daughter. You did such a beautiful job 
How do they feel being uh, talked about and having parts of their lives shared? <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, well, Ian's definitely my youngest because he was there for most of it. And, you know, Brady was graduating like the year we started, I think. Yeah, he graduated the same year. Um, so he's had to have more of it. And, it's, it, you know, he's been really cool with it. But what's really funny is he's never read the book. Um, the other two, when before the book came out, I said, I want you to read it. I want you to, you know, to hear what I said. And if you, you know, if there's anything in there that bothers you, we can talk about it. But it's my story. And these, this is how I remember it. Um, and they they both read it and they both loved it and didn't ask me to change anything. So, you know, they, they're kind of used to it. I, and I wrote about them you know, a lot in my writing life also because I wrote at that time um, and had been writing for quite some time about organic living because we, we tried to do that. And I wrote a lot about it for magazine, write articles, newspaper articles, things like that. And I always incorporated my kids' reaction to things. So they were kind of used to it. Um, but because it, you know, it served the purpose of helping these dogs, I think that they were cool with it. Yeah, I thought it was great. There was nothing where I'm like, oh, my God. No, it was all totally fine. But I know how kids and teens can be. There was so many dogs, again, that really just grabbed me. Of course, I mentioned Ginger Snap. One thing happened that was so tragic. And if, I don't know if you want to talk about it or not, if, or if you want to have people read it in the book with two border collies, you had Texas and Tennessee. Do you mind talking about that, Kara, or it, it's up to you? Oh, I don't mind. Um, because, you know, heartbreak is part of it. You know, we do, we, these dogs come in with no history. We don't know what they've been through. We don't know much about them. And a lot of times they've either been dumped or they're strays or, you know, oftentimes people surrender their animals and they aren't telling the whole story. So we don't know what we're getting. And um, heartbreak is a part of rescue. There's no way around it. If you stay in it very long, there are times when things just go south and, you know, it's just the way it goes. And so this happened pretty early on, though. I, these guys were the first summer I was fostering. And, I, and the first time I'd taken two dogs at once. And they were the coolest dogs. They were Border Collies. Um, from the southwestern edge of Virginia. And they were related in some way, but no one was really clear on how they were related. But they were very, they were, they got along really well. I even walked them on a double leash and they were, they were wicked smart. Oh my gosh. They were, they would herd. They would come the second I whistled. They were, I just never had dogs that were that obedient. I mean, I was their foster and like within a week or even less, I could take them off leash confidently no worries. Even though my neighbors across the street had goats. I mean, I was like completely safe with them. They were really special. I didn't know. I didn't realize at that point, you know, it was pretty early in the fostering career. And I was like, wow, this is cool. Like I just, I had no idea that they were something special. And, um, so having them was, was just such a joy. And I had another dog at the time too, who had been returned. So I had three dogs who, all of which, and the other one who had been returned, Frank, who was the first foster that I Yes, Frank. Turned through no fault of his own, just not a great match. And it was very quick. It was, they didn't have him very long. Um, and he was one that I, so the three of them had the most fun together playing. They had a blast. And one day I had to leave them alone um, briefly. They were all together in the kitchen and they'd been doing fine. And I ran a quick errand. And when I came back, um, Tennessee, I mean, Texas, had died and it was just oh horrifying you know to walk in on that it was like actually i opened the door and i knew something was wrong it was weird I, I don't know why but there was just this feeling there's something not right and he was just laying on the dog bed like 
he was asleep, but he wasn't. And um, the other dogs were acting normal. It was strange, so strange. And we did have him sent, you know, have the body sent to be tested, and they they don't know what it was. And my vet's best guess was it was like you know some kind of brain issue or aneurysm or like they don't know. There was no evidence of anything, and he didn't test positive for any you know anything foul or bad. Um, so it was just heartbreaking. But then the one thing about it is that I know that dog for the last week and a half of his life, he was loved for the first time in his life. He was able to like run and play with these two dogs and and Mm -hmm. enough food to eat and lots of love and have a soft bed and plenty of toys and all of that. I know he had a great, I don't know what the rest of his life was like. I know that where he, you know, whoever it was that threw him away, obviously didn't care enough about him to see to his well-being. And I know that we gave him a wonderful end. And it looks to me like he died peacefully. I mean, that was the only thing we could say. He was laying there literally like he was asleep, like he laid down and went to sleep. And, you know, there are, there are definitely worse things in rescue, and I've definitely seen worse things in rescue since then. But at the time, it was, it was just shocking, and I, I was just blown up. I mean, was terrified. You know, I went, I just didn't expect it, but, um, all the volunteers and the rescue people and everyone, they really circled around and lent so much support. And it, it was, it was a tough moment, but I learned a lot. I learned from it and I, um, and I'm, and I'm grateful that we were able to do that for Texas. And I'm really grateful that he, it didn't happen like at his adopters, you know, cause he actually had an approved adopter who was a 10 year old girl in her family. So, oh my goodness. With us and not. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. That would have been so horrible for that young girl. And it was horrible for you. I don't want to invalidate that at all. But I totally hear you that it's better that you had Texas. Once you have had a wonderful dog, a life without one is a life diminished. That's a quote by author Dean Coots, and I couldn't agree more. I want my wonderful dogs to live as long as possible, and what they eat plays a huge role in their health and longevity. Kibble is full of seed oils that wreak havoc on our dog's health. They damage their microbiome, which affects digestion, oral health, their skin and coat, and more. And that's why I feed my dog, Benji, Yumwoof. Their air-dried food is GMO-free and has an inflammation-reducing recipe with omega-3 and coconut oil. It's all the benefits of fresh food without the fridge, carbs, fillers, seed oils, and other inflammatory ingredients you see in other brands. Yum Woof obsessively crafted a healthy, low-carb food with humanely raised USDA meat, eggs, and other non-GMO superfoods that my dog loves. Try the number one air-dried dog food for gut health for 50% off a trial of Yum Woof. That's 50% off a trial of Yum Woof. Go to www.yumwoof.com. That's www.yumwoof.com. You and your dog will be so glad you did. Does your family include a dog or a cat? Would you like to be better educated on how to advocate for their health naturally? Then why not check out all of the amazing resources on naturallyhealthypets.com? Dr. Judy Morgan is a trusted advisor and a regular guest here on the Dog-Eared Podcast. She has over 38 years experience as an integrative veterinarian, acupuncturist, chiropractor, food therapist, author, speaker, podcast host, 
and owner of Dr. Judy Morgan's Naturally Healthy Pets. Dr. Judy's goal is to change the lives of pets by educating and empowering pet parents just like you in the use of natural healing therapies and minimizing the use of chemicals, vaccinations, and poor quality processed food. Head on over to naturallyhealthypets.com where you'll discover healthy product recommendations, comprehensive courses, the Naturally Healthy Pets podcast, informative blogs, upcoming events, and so much more. Again, that's naturallyhealthypets.com, the place to learn how to give your pet the vibrant life that they deserve. You know, I want to talk kind of going to a lighter side. Some of these names I love. Uh, you had these puppies and you named them Millie Bean, Lugnut, Marzel, and Chickpea. <laughs> how did you come up with these names? They're so fun. Oh, those were the very first puppies that I fostered. And I was actually on vacation. I was camping with a couple other families. Um, it was for Brady's graduation. Is that right? Yeah, it was. It was for Brady's graduation and it was um, a million degrees and Oh yeah. We're at the beach and and um and somebody and this pic these pictures came across to my email of like they were looking for fosters for these puppies, these five puppies, and I was like, Oh, they are the most adorable puppies in the world, you know, and I was I I just was you know, not enjoying my quote unquote vacation. <laughs> Sounded awful. I felt so bad for oh, you. I was oh. like, this is a vacation, it's a nightmare. Well, I don't know that we've really ever camped since, actually. And um we so I was hanging out with these these friends. There were uh, and the six of us went we left all the kids at the campsite. They were older, they were old enough to be at the campsite alone. They were all teenagers or almost teenagers and we rode our bikes into town um and we uh, we i was telling them i was showing pictures of the dogs and i was like what should i name them and everybody kind of threw out names and that's kind of how those names all were just they were just everybody who was hanging out with us that day and we literally i'll confess we were at a brewery and nobody was drunk because we had to get back on our bikes and ride back but everybody had had a beer or two and we were tossing around names and that's kind of how those all these silly names happen. Some of them were like nicknames for their kids, I think is mostly what they were. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's how they, those funny, it's fun when you get puppies. Like I have to name the three puppies that are coming. Oh. And it's two boys and a girl. And I asked my husband, he was like, this again. And he was like, well, why don't you name them Brady, Addie, and Ian? But then we decided that would be too confusing if we named them after our children. That's a good point. So I don't have names for them yet. I do like that though. Uh, another dog that really struck me was Carla and quote, the whole time we talked, I felt teary. I knew this was right. The magic had finally happened. Carla was a perfect fit for Carol. She was ready for Carla and all her Carliness. Tell us about this Carliness and about how it was hard to let go again, even though this seemed like, wow, like you actually use the word magic, which is pretty powerful. Yeah. That adoption magic is real. I could talk about that for sure. Um, Carla was an enormous, enormous training walker coonhound, which had been originally the kind of dog I thought we wanted. That's what we were looking for. Um, and she was, I can't remember how much she weighed, 80 pounds, something like that. And uh, she had this penchant for like laying on beds. And at that time, this has definitely changed, but at that time, our house rule was no dogs on the bed. Um, mostly because my husband felt that way. 
And Carla loved being on the bed. So she would always like, she would sneak off whenever I couldn't find her. I knew go upstairs, find a room. Somebody left their door open. Even they were all supposed to keep them closed while we were fostering Carla. And she would be, (laughs) and she would take up the whole bed. I mean, she was enormous. And she, she just, you know, having a dog that large hound dog, first of all. So they, they, the coon hounds especially have this enormous howl. And, and she would drag me, I was a runner, still I'm a runner, and I was run, I would run with her, and she would get on a scent or whatever, and I, it was like, all right, where are we going, because I'm going wherever you, she would, <laughs> I was not able to stop her once she was in, once you have 80 pounds in motion, chasing after whatever scent they found, so she was just, I mean, she was a great dog, we really did, and I love, and I did love her, she was a really cool dog, and um, that match was made in heaven and we had her for a long time I felt like and I always talk about the adoption magic it always seems to come when I think no one's ever going to pick this dog and for whatever reason and um the right person comes along and I've come to believe that sometimes we have them longer we foster them longer just because the family that is their family isn't ready yet and so we have to wait and we literally have had dogs for a year even oh wow and then they end up in the perfect home so the adoption magic is real. And if you wait for it and don't force it, it does happen. Oh, that's so nice. You know, you mentioned Frank earlier and, you know, I love how you named the bed, the Frank bed. And you'll say, oh, Carla and Stitch are hanging out on the Frank bed. And tell us a little bit about Frank. Oh, Frank. Frank was a Catahoula mix and he, we had him pretty early on. He was, he was, I thought, beautiful. Probably not what most people would say is beautiful. Um, he. I didn't, he was called a Catahoula, I don't know what he was, Catahoula, probably definitely some ham staff in there, I'm not sure what else, Um, but he was so devoted to me, and he had these really cool eyes, one eye was brown, and the other eye was like half blue, half brown, like divided straight down the middle. Oh my goodness. I thought really neat, but some people thought really strange looking. (laughs) So attached to me, like he never left my side, he was the first foster, actually the first dog, other than Lucy, my hound that I had so long who I could take off leash confidently, walk around anywhere, know he would come right to me no matter what, whether there's a cat or a deer or whatever. It wouldn't matter. If I called Frank, he was coming. And he was super attached to me. And he it was really tempting to keep him. We talked a lot about keeping him. And then, you know, his first adopters returned him. And I kept thinking, is this a sign? And they returned him. And they returned that Frank bed. They were so excited about him. They had purchased this enormous L.L. Bean bed. It's huge. It, it takes four king-size pillows to fill, fill it. And because bean beds don't come with stuffing, note to people. <laughs> they come with just the cover. Um, but it took four king-size um, pillows to fill. And um, so when they brought him back, they brought the Frank bed because they, they just were, you know, they were heartbroken because they really wanted him and it was a bad fit. And they had, a, I won't tell you the whole story, but anyway, it wasn't anybody's fault. It was just a bad fit. Um, and so when they brought him back, they brought back this giant bed and we put it in the kitchen and it became, you know, the Frank bed. We just all called it the Frank bed because it said Frank. It was monogrammed. And um, so we have so many pictures of all the dogs we have. We still, to this day, have the Frank bed. It's worn through on one side, and I don't use it with fosters because it, they would probably shred it. I only Actually, Gracie, my elderly dog, uses it. You know, another dog that was really special was Mama Bear, and she has a really interesting story, which I want people to get the book to read unless you want to share it. She was from Iraq. But I love this quote. You write, Mama Bear was an easy dog to love. Her big heart and gentle nature couldn't be missed. 
Ian was smitten upon first sight. And after the first day, Nick said, that's your husband, tell them there's no rush in finding her a home. I even caught Addie lying on the hard, cold kitchen floor, arms wrapped around Mama Bear, quietly whispering in her secrets. Such a beautiful writer. And Mama Bear had some kids cut off part of her ears. I mean, it, it was just mind blowing. Yeah, that's why she was bear. She looked like a giant polar bear because she was. She's so beautiful. They told us village kids to cut off her ears and her tail. You got a wonderful home, and I still hear from her adopted. Oh, good. Brought her back to visit once, and he also brought her to a book signing. She signed books with me once, and anybody who was there that day got to have their books signed by Mama Bear with her paw print. Oh my goodness. You know, there's so many, I want to share all the stories. There's so many. I want to talk about Hadley and I want to talk about Chuggy and I want to talk about John Coffee. And, but one that I definitely want to make sure as we talk about is Lily and Lily was returned by the adopters because the DNA analysis showed that she was a boxer Rottweiler mix. And you write, quote, I have to confess that had I known Lily was a Rottweiler mix, I would never have agreed to foster her. Is that horrible? Yes, you're right. It is. I'd like to think of myself as a non-judgmental person, but when it comes to dog breeds, most of us have plenty of judgment to pass around. I should be afraid of people who do not care for their dogs properly, raising them with an unkind hand. I should be afraid of irresponsible people who don't secure their aggressive dogs. I should not be afraid of Rottweilers. Lily was gentle and sweet and one of the most obedient foster dogs we've ever had. Talk to us about why you had these feelings and that Lily taught you that it wasn't the breed. It's the owners. Yeah, she's an amazing dog. Still is. I actually saw her recently. She's Oh, nice. Um, yeah, I had that prejudice because my nephew, when he was eight, um, was attacked by two Rottweilers and would have been killed. Oh, my God. If he was on an uh, Air Force base, and if two Air Force men and women hadn't been able to, they actually had to beat the dogs off with, I can't remember what, uh, shovels, I think, and then use a car. Ultimately, they would get one off, and the other one would jump back on, and they ultimately had to use a car to basically shove the dog out of the way, and they picked up my nephew and put him on the other side of a fence. He ended up in the hospital for several days. He had a hundred and... I can't remember how many stitches. Oh, my gosh. So sorry. It's just the most horrific experience, you know, and that, um, and, and just could have, could have been even worse. But those two dogs just, they wouldn't quit. They just, you know, and so I took that. I'd, I've never been around a Rottweiler, so I took it to be those dogs. It was, you know, and now, you know, many, many years later and many, many dogs later, I, I understand that, you know, it's not the breed. It's the individual dog. And it, and it may be because of the owners and the way they're raised, or it may be because of the way the dog is wired. There's a lot of reasons, and it has, but it has nothing really to do with breed uh, other than, like, you know, terriers want to chase things. That's kind of nature. But, um, but that, like, that, that aggression, that, like, trying to, you know, literally kill another, another being, um, that's, that's usually, that's not normal. That's no normal for dogs of any breed. So that's something is really wrong. Either, you know, trauma from that's been put on them or trauma that's they, they were born with. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, I'm really glad you have a chapter 17 breed racism. That's where you talk about BSL laws, uh, which I think is so flippant insane and about and about pities. And I like that you say seemed like a form of racism because it really is. 
And I was really happy that you stood up to that guy that said something negative about pit bulls. And, and you were talking about Michael Vick and that of the 51 pit bulls rescued, only one had to be put down. All the others were able to be rehabilitated because they don't want to be fighting. That's what people don't understand. They want to sit on you. <laughs> just ask Blue. <laughs> oh, they're just so loyal and they'll do anything for their people. And if what their people are asking them to do is fight, well, they'll do it because they'll they're so trainable. Oh my gosh. They're the most trainable breed. Yeah. They're, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, he's pre- I'm going, oh geez, Blue, we might need to do a little more work. Uh, I want to jump into, cause I could talk about all the dogs forever, but I want people to get the book again, another good dog, Juanita, who also fosters. She, she asked you this great question. Did you ever think that maybe you're getting what you're looking for with the foster dogs? And you say, what do you mean? And Juanita says, the dogs give us love and challenges and fun and companionship and a sense of purpose. Maybe those are the things you were looking for in a dog and maybe you're getting them now. Maybe your dog is all these foster dogs. Yeah, Juanita's very wise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I started the whole thing with this quest for a dog, the looking for a dog. And I, I remember talking to her about, you know, like, I don't know how I'm going to end this if I write this book. I don't know how it's going to end. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was her. Maybe, maybe, you know, you weren't, that's not what you were looking for. That's what you thought you were looking for. And yeah, I sure, I mean, I never had any, we went to pick up Galena that night in that bowling alley parking lot. Like I had no idea that that was going to change the trajectory of my life. And it truly has. I mean, it hasn't even been 10 years. It feels like it's been, I don't know, 50. <laughs> it's been, <laughs> It's just changed everything, you know. I, I this is not what I imagined I'd be doing at this at this point in my life. I thought by now I'd be like a you know famous novelist. <laughs> but I am still writing books, but um, the dogs have definitely absorbed every every bit of my bandwidth. Oh, I bet I know. And now you've got these puppies coming, so it's a lot. And I do want to mention before we talk a little bit about foster, more about fostering is I want to talk about Gracie. How did Gracie do overall? And it sounds like I love Benji, my lab. Don't get me wrong. And I give him tons of love and attention. I don't have that super bond heart thing that I have with Blue. And I'm just from reading the book, I kind of get the sense that with Gracie, you love her, but challenges or, or what is it exactly? I hope I'm saying this correctly. You are. You know, I, that was like the one criticism I've gotten over the book is people were like, you didn't talk very nice about Gracie. You know? <laughs> See, I appreciate the honesty. It's like when you're a pregnant woman, you're not allowed to say you hate being pregnant. I hated yeah. being pregnant with a passion. Oh, my God, how do you hate being pregnant? Right. So and people are like, oh, that's so you, you're not you know, you don't love Benji as much as Blue. It's like I do love him. It's just different. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, that's true. It is different. I feel like with Gracie, Gracie was the kid's dog. I mean, we got her for the kids and um, I was so bonded with Lucy and um, Gracie, Gracie was so hard to train. As I mentioned earlier, she doesn't like treats. She wouldn't eat treats. She was so suspicious of them. Like we couldn't give her her heartworm medicine. Like I would spend so much money trying to get her heartworm pill into her and she would hide it. Like I would find them later under a bed. I mean, we could not get in there you know, it's supposed to taste really good. I've never had a dog who wouldn't gobble them down. So we ended up having to use, um, get this special spot. You can actually give a heartworm med that's like like a spot treatment, sort of like a flea tick treatment. And um, that's what she's always had to have because we couldn't. I mean, she just, so because she wouldn't take a treat and she was so suspicious, I couldn't teach her to come when she was called, to sit. I mean, housebreaking her took a lot of time. I mean, 
she couldn't walk on a leash nicely. She, um, even though she was a nice dog to people, she would initially bark and growl and whatever at everybody who approached. Um, and she, and she had the same attitude towards the, the foster dogs that would come in. <laughs> she never did anything to them, but she would never give them a warm, happy to have you greeting. So she and I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I was committed to her. There's, you know, we've taken wonderful care of her. We still do. We, and, um, she is spoiled rotten like every other dog we of course cared for but it's not the same it's not the same with her like it's been with other dogs and and the little pity i have now who i'm really i just not and it's just gracie she's always been independent when we lived on the farm in pa she was outside almost the whole, the whole day she never started staying inside very much until she got older and kind of arthritic but you know she's independent she's her own She's her own dog. And I think that we all have different, you know, just like with people, we all have different relationships with every animal. You don't, just because you don't like love everything about an animal doesn't mean you don't love and care for that animal. You make a commitment, you know. Of course. And, and that, for me, is a lifetime. Oh, absolutely. Now, in the in the epilogue, it's great because you do talk about fostering and you write, you can foster too. And you talk about this problem, absolutely huge problem of unwanted dogs in this country. And you say it's complicated, but it is a fixable problem and that we need to get involved. That's what I keep telling my husband. And he loves dogs, but he feels overwhelmed just with these two. <laughs> talk to us about this problem and, and how we can get involved. Hmm, you shouldn't open that can. I'll talk forever. <laughs> That's fine. So for people who are thinking about fostering, what are some things they should keep in mind? And for people who are like, I can't do it, I'll get too attached, what words of wisdom do you have for them? And anything else you want to add about fostering? Yeah, I mean, it is a fixable problem. Right now, currently in this country, um, our shelters are in crisis all over the place. Um, you know, and it's kind of been a perfect storm of pandemic, post-pandemic, you know, the, and, and I want to say again and again, I don't think it's just that people adopted and are tired, you know, and then went back to work and decided to dump their dogs. That might be the case in a fraction of them, but but um, a good rescue adopting out dogs will have about ten percent returned. Just just because not not because anything terrible, but just that's just the number, and that's a, that's a good rescue. So when you think of the number of animals and twenty three million, I think is the number I've heard that of pets that were adopted during the pandemic. 10% of that comes back. Your shelter is overwhelmed. Your shelter has 24 kennels or whatever. So that right there is hard. And then you know, add to that the economic uncertainty and the housing crisis and BSLs. And, you know, it's and, and a lot of um, during the pandemic, there was a lot of irresponsible breeding, backyard breeding to try to meet the need of this huge demand for puppies. Um, all of those factors are, are leading to our shelters being overwhelmed right now with so many dogs because the intakes are insane. And um, and at the same time, a lot of people, anybody who had kind of ever thought of adopting, adopted during the pandemic. So you kind of have less on one end and more coming in here and, you know, <clears throat> rescues are overwhelmed. And it's created this kind of, um, I don't know, I keep saying it's a lump in the snake that we got to get through of of too many dogs. And the one thing that could help in this situation right now in this current crisis in our country is fostering. That gives shelters breathing room because when you pull a dog out of the shelter, for one thing, shelters are really stressful and the longer a dog stays in a shelter, the harder it is for them. Um, so when you pull that dog out of the shelter and into a home environment, you've now made room for another dog. So you're saving not one life, but two lives. Um, 
And it's the one, it's the one thing we can honestly do, you know, we can't create more adopters and we are working at it, but, you know, slowing down that inflow of dogs is, it's going to take some time. So fostering is the one, one solution that right now really can help. So I'm hugely pushing it more so than ever. I mean, there are a lot of solutions. I've spent many, many, many um, days traveling in the South. I've been to over 120 shelters now. So I feel like I have a unique perspective of of this problem. And I do believe it's very fixable. Um, And the problem really doesn't come down to that that, um, people don't care. It's just that they don't know. Like you said, like a lot of them just don't know. And if you don't know how to help, then you really can't help. So fostering is a really phenomenal way to help. And if you can't foster, um, helping at your own shelter to try to move dogs through and encouraging shelters, um, especially like in the Northeast and in some of the places where they have they they are not overwhelmed encouraging those those places to consider pulling dogs from the shelters that are, are overwhelmed in the south and we you know i've ha- I had this dream of like creating sister shelters where you partner up a shelter in the northeast that's doing well with a shelter in the south that is overwhelmed and letting them kind of um, work together develop a partnership and some trust because you know there's a lot of trust involved when you're moving dogs north from right you know uh, you know you got to trust their word <laughs> unless you can go down there and look at those dogs you know so at, a lot of times I, I see that as being the the disconnect is it's being able to trust the judgment of the people you don't really know um, that these dogs are good dogs and you can take a chance on bringing them up to you know your shelter in the north so there's a million solutions, but I think fostering is a really great one. And, um, and whether that's fostering a dog or cats, you know, cats are a whole nother, a whole nother problem. And it's a different problem, but it's a bigger problem. Um, but also, it, also a very fixable problem too. So there are a lot of solutions, but fostering is one of the biggest. Well, I love what you talk about also what they offer in return, unconditional and many times overly enthusiastic love, which I can never get enough of from a dog, a chance to make a difference, not only in a dog's life, but the lives of its adopters, exercise and inspiration, entertainment, a whole new network of friends who quickly become like family. And then the most common excuses not to foster are, I don't know what I'm doing. What if I get a difficult dog? I might get stuck with the dog long-term. It will cost money. I work full time and the dog will be alone all day, but you had a way to get around all of these things. Absolutely. You know, a lot of people who do foster have really full lives and most of them work full time. Um, a lot of people that I know that foster, you know, and they, but they, they find a way, you know, there's every kind of foster. Some, you know, puppies are a huge commitment and, and they're not for everybody. And, but, you know, um, hospice foster, elderly dog hosp- um, fostering, those are pretty, they're very, very different. They're, you can, you can be breed specific. There's a breed specific rescue for everything in this country. So I have a friend who fosters um, pugs, that's her thing. And, you know, pugs have a lot of health issues, I, which I wasn't aware of, um, and they get surrendered because of them. Um, and that's what, that's where her heart is. So she loves doing that. So, you know, and there's German shepherd rescues there. There's every kind of rescue out there. So like you don't have to foster, you know, just anything. Usually you have a big say in what you're going to, what you're going to take in. I've always had the option of saying, no, I don't want that dog or, you know, you've always had, you always have that choice, but fostering is a, it's a great experience for not just a person, but also for families. I think especially families with teenagers, it gives you something in common, something I know that it helped us. Yes. I meant to bring that up. 
Yeah, I thought that was great because you you say you kind of run out of things to do with your teenagers, but now you have something to talk about. Loves a dog, you know, and teenagers, at least my teenagers, didn't necessarily want to spend that much time with me, but they did want to spend time with this dog. And so it was something that we, you know, we worked on together. We laughed, gosh, we laughed so much about some of these dogs. And, um, you know, it really was. I mean, it, it, when I see them today, like we, we will talk about dogs all the time. I was trying to think who we were just talking about. Ginger comes up a lot, but um, Vero was a big black pit, pit bull that we fostered that Addie fell in love with. And, um, Mama Bear definitely comes up. We still talk about the dogs that we have. And like right now I've got two foster adult dogs and um, and three puppies coming. And so my son, my um, youngest Ian just graduated from college and oh my gosh, is here for a month or so before he starts his job in uh, San Francisco. And oh, exciting. he's, you know, out here hanging out with the dogs. I'm sure he's going to help me name these puppies. You know, it's just it is a really cool thing to do as a family. Oh, I love that. You know, you mentioned too that you have two pitties. Now, these are not dogs you're fostering, right? Or are they? No, these are mine. Now, how did that happen? Uh, they both have really long stories. <laughs> but but uh, the one I found, um, as you mentioned in the very beginning, I did. I started an organization called Who Will Let the Dogs Out? And so I traveled to shelters and rescues. And, um, and Fanny, Miss Fanny Wiggles, my little red pit bull, um, she, she was in a dog pound in Huntington, Tennessee, and Ian actually was with me. He came along as my photographer on that trip and, um, she was starving to death at this, literally a dog pound, which it's hard to believe they exist, but they do all over Tennessee and also Georgia and many other places, Alabama too. Um, and it's a, a dog pound in the sense of like what dog pounds were like way back when, uh, it's just a cement bunker kind of thing. And there is literally a dog catcher that is their title and um the dog catcher brings in the strays or whatever you know dogs that have been dumped and they get put in a kennel cement kennel and they're given a bucket of food and a five gallon bucket of water and they have i think that county is a five-day stray hold and after five days they have them euthanized um sometimes they don't they take them to the vet sometimes they have other methods um, but that's what that's the situation she was in, and she'd been there long enough that she was skin and bones and was laying in her own poop. And I don't know, there was something she just I I just had to go back for her. I couldn't take her that day, um, but I did connect with a rescue that pulled her and did go back to get her. So that's how we got her. Otis sectored his puppies, and I had my my one and only, and hopefully ever experience with parvo and really tragic awful parvo and we lost half the puppies and, oh my goodness um i don't know i had a weird bond with him and i couldn't bear to let him go so i kept him oh, i'm so glad that you have pities and all the things you've done for all the dogs no matter what the breeds and you're still fostering see that's what's great like you still you have three dogs that you're still bringing in more yeah, I can't imagine not. In fact, Nick and I just talked about that the other day. We were like, you know, when these dogs go, the dogs we currently have, Gracie and Fanny and Otis, um, when they go, we're probably just going to foster. It's just, it's nice to be able to, like, because then we can travel. Because you know, if you're fostering, you know, when you go, you don't have to have a dog all the time. But you can have a dog whenever you want a dog. And so we, I think that's probably what we'll do. Because I can't imagine. I mean, I'm so attached to these ones and... I, I'm I just saying goodbye to a heart dog is too hard. I don't know how many more times I can do it. So um, I think that's probably what we'll do because I think 
fostering to me is the future of shelters. That's the dream for me is that that's eventually what, what we have, our shelter buildings where dogs are housed temporarily and evaluated and treated medically or have their meet and greets. But other than that, they live in foster homes. Yeah, I, I think that's fantastic. Now, I think my husband will come around. I think in a few years, you know, our daughter will be out and I don't know, we'll be happy. happy. Yeah, because, well, I'm, you know, listen, you know, happy wife, happy life. Isn't that the expression? Right. <laughs> I, I will use that to foster dogs. Kara, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you were hoping we would today? You, know, you, I, you asked a lot of good questions and you gave me a chance to get on my soapbox and preach fostering because I really believe in it. Um, the only thing I would say is that um, if anybody had questions or wants to wants to be have their arm twisted a little bit more, I am always happy to talk to people about fostering. You can reach out to me through email um, or Facebook Messenger or however, and I'm happy to to um, to push you down that road <laughs> and get you fostering. Because I, I believe there are a lot of solutions. And the other thing is, um, if you want to learn more about the solutions and what's actually happening in the South, visit um, our website, whowillletthedogsout.org. And there are story after story. I do write a blog um, for Who Will Let the Dogs Out and tell stories of these visits of um, over 120 visits now to shelters and rescues and the issues surrounding them and what we all can do to fix this really fixable problem. Well, first of all, I want you to come back to talk about that. Second of all, I want you to come back to talk about 100 dogs and counting, one woman, 10,000 miles, and a journey into the heart of shelters and rescues. And Kara, the doggy door is always open here <laughs> at uh, Dog Eared. And it's been such an honor and pleasure having you on. And thank you for all the amazing work that you've done. And I'm just, it's just, it moved, your book moved me tremendously. And you are a gifted writer. You also have written Girls Weekend and Blind Turn, which I want to read. I'd also like to have you on my uh, popular health podcast that I've been doing for 10 years, Health Power, to talk about your book about organic living. So we'll talk. That would be super fun. Yeah, that book is coming up on its 10 year. Oh, my goodness. Like a rewrite or, you know, like updated version. I haven't decided I got to make a decision on it. Wow. That's exciting. Well, Kara, thank you so much for coming on Dog Eared. I'm excited to have you back as many times and also to have you on Health Power as well. Everybody keep coming back, rate, review, subscribe, and be sure to check out Yum Woof. Benji is on it and I have to say he loves it and he's moving a little better because it's got this great Coco Mega coconut oil. And just so people know, if you know me at all, I don't take people sponsors on the show unless I use and believe in their products. Same goes for health power. So anyway, keep coming back and tell all your dog love and friends.